count off seven Sabbaths of years, seven times seven years, so that the seventh, seven Sabbaths of years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout the land. Consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each one of you is to return to his family property and each to his own clan. The fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines, for it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. That's just a portion of that section on, on the Jubilee, and we'll talk about it in a second. Uh, but it is a, it's a remarkable, remarkable idea, setting aside a year. Anyway, but this is my th- this section my third time preaching through uh, Lord's Prayer. The first time was in Ann Arbor, and then here in South Bend, uh, and then, or there in South Bend. And it's interesting, each time I do it, there's certain things sort of strike me and th- this time, the thing that really strike, strikes me is how this prayer progresses to, you know, to change the order of these petitions would be to change the meaning not only of those petitions, but the prayer as a whole. One petition lays a foundation for the next. So before we begin our investigation of the fourth petition or fourth request, let's remind ourselves of what has led up to it. The prayer begins with this audacious invitation, not just to speak with God, but to address God on the same terms that Jesus does, as Father. My daughter developed this habit of calling me dude and bruh. Uh, And I had to say, look, kid, uh, the relationship you and I have is not one that I share with many in this world. It's a pretty exclusive club, and it's one that means so much to me. So please don't downplay it. Just call me dad, right? What Jesus says is that relationship, that bond between parent and child, the bond Jesus uses to describe his own relationship to God is not one that God is exclusive about. Jesus invites us into that club too. God is Abba, yours and mine. So now, now that Jesus has blown our minds, uh, we move on to that first petition, which is the first priority. Hallow, hallowed be your name. Attune our hearts to the majesty and glory the majesty and glory of the God who occupies the center of the universe. Put that song into our hearts that your kingdom come, your will be done. And talk about this as that first petition translated into lived reality, the song informing the dance of our lives so that things on earth flourish in ways that mirror the goodness and life of heaven. 
So it's these petitions that frame our understanding of that third petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus wants us to understand God's concern for our basic needs. This is not a prayer that tells us, don't bother God with ordinary stuff. No. It assumes we come to God with ordinary needs. And we come every day. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day the fuel we need to do the dance, to do our dancing. Uh, now, speaking of dancing, uh, during the pandemic, I decided I wanted to learn how to do the running man. I don't know if you know that one. It's one of those basic moves that looks equal parts cool and hilarious. Like, it, it's kind of a funny move. But most importantly, what I liked about it is it lends itself to a host of variations, right? You know, running man is down here. I can't show you because of the pulpit, sorry. But, but up here, you can do all kinds of things. There's, you know, you'll see people go swinging their arms like this. Am I doing this? I mean, there's all kinds of variations you can do with the upper body. You just keep doing the running man uh, as you're doing the running man. So I, you know, I thought, well, I'd like to learn how to do that because then, I'm, you know, that's the basis for all these other moves. So I went to YouTube. I searched how to do the running man. Once you know it, somebody had anticipated my need. There was a number of tutorials. And so I started watching them and practicing. And after about half hour, I said to myself, you know, I think I'm getting this. You know, maybe I'll show Jen. And they thought, well, you know, let's make sure I'm going to record myself doing the running man, see how it's going. And I had it half right. The hilarious part. Cool part, no, not, not so much. That needed work. Uh, and if you're thinking I'm gonna show you that video, wrong, yes, as archived. My point is, is that this petition, this fourth petition is a particular dance move a particular way in which we express our desire for the kingdom to come and for God's will to be done. But it's not just any dance move. Forgiveness is sort of like the running man. There are, there are a host of things that we might do in our efforts to, to live out kingdom pursuits, in our efforts to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, Everything from raising money to donating, uh, or donating money and raising children, caring for the sick, reducing your carbon footprint, all, all kinds of things. But those are all moves up here, down here. Those are I mean, they're adaptations that you bring to the running man, to this basic dance step. They're personalized versions of the standard move. The legs, they keep doing running man. Forgiving and being forgiven, is this, is, that's the basic dance move. That stays constant. And I'll explain why that stays constant in just a second. As I said before our reading, the, the language Jesus is borrowing here is from Leviticus, from this description of a jubilee year. Every 50 years, God calls on Israel to cancel all debts, if you had to sell the family plot, well, in the Jubilee year, 
you get it back. And the land itself gets a Sabbath year. It's allowed to, you know, it just rest, lie fallow. And if you're wondering how, wow, that's kind of crazy, right? To do that for a year, cancel debts, let the land. And what, what, what would that, how did that turn out? Well, we don't know. There's no evidence that Israel celebrated a Jubilee year. Not even once, let alone every 50 years. And you can see why. It seems kind of risky to do something like that. But of course, failing to celebrate a Jubilee isn't without risks too. I mean, because debts continue to produce more debt. They establish a cycle of poverty and wealth builds more wealth. And then suddenly you find you have a society with these huge income disparities and that creates, a, that destabilizes a society. You know, exploitation by the rich fuels resentment from the poor. Three times in this chapter on Jubilee, three times there's a sort of refrain. There's an instruction is given and it has this conclusion where it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I am the God who put a song in your heart. And because I am your God, Egypt does not define who you are. Your debt does not define who you are. Your wealth does not define who you are. Your productivity does not define who you are. Well, that is easy to forget. It's easy to let that stuff, you know, shape our thinking. It's easy to let everything else drown out that song God has put in our heart. And so here's what God is saying to do. Reserve one year, maybe two, two years of your life just for the, for the dancing. And it, the chapter spells out a lot of moves involved in that Jubilee dance. But it, at the heart of it is this, it's sort of a letting go and, it, and a receiving. Again, this prayer invites us to think like Jesus does. And his ministry is sort of a retelling of the Exodus narrative. Here again is that God who delivers from enslavement. But here it's not delivery from a particular oppressor. It's deliverance from sin and death and the, and the power of death. On Easter, Jesus declares, I am the Lord your God born among you as one of you, who did not think the cross too much to bring you out from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. Think again about those first two petitions. This expresses, you know, hallowed be your name. This expresses our desire to see God receive God's do. I mean, this isn't about God's neediness. It's just right and fitting that the universe orient itself with God at the center, with the source of goodness and life at the center. 
Because when God occupies the center, everything else finds its right place as well. This is what distinguishes heaven from earth. In heaven, God occupies the center, and God's glory uh, is at the center, and everything else is in its right place. And because of that, it shares in God's glory to the point where there are times in the Old Testament where someone has an encounter with someone from the heavenly realm, and it's not clear whether it's an encounter with God or with an angel, because it's just so much glory, right? Think about that scene, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's this fourth figure that shows up, and sometimes that's described as an angel, sometimes as sort of God in human form. Jacob, does Jacob wrestle the angel, or is Jacob wrestling God? When things are, when God is at the center, God's glory is at the center, there is a glory that radiates. It's a shared glory. And you and I were created in the image of God. We were created for that kind of glory. Because of that, we are worthy of a certain kind of treatment. And if God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven you would receive that sort of proper treatment. There would be glory. But that doesn't happen because others treat us as less than beings created in the image of God with their words and their actions. And when someone does that, they extract something from us. They take something from us, something we by rights deserve, that glory we deserve is taken from us when we're treated less than, uh, being treated as less than heirs of God's image. And so when that happens, a debt, a debt is owed to us. They owe us a debt. And the impulse when that happens, when there's this, when it's extracted from us, is to try to return the favor to get, take back the glory we deserve. And even if we can't take it back, what we want is a, an opportunity to take their value away. And sometimes if we can't take the value away of the person who extracted it from us, we will turn and take it from someone else. Back when I lived in Ohio, my good friend Jeremy and I were talking to Gary from this multi-unit house next to ours. Gary, who, with his deaf girlfriend, bred hamsters to sell to, as snake food, started bad-mouthing Zeke. Overweight Zeke had moved in recently to that same multi-unit house after having served a sentence for attempted murder. My friend Jeremy and I, we liked Zeke. Zeke's great, we said. That fat SOB called the cops on me, said Gary. Jeremy replied, yeah, well, you were beating your girlfriend. He don't know me, Gary said. He don't know what I've been through, how my mom's boyfriend used to tie me to a chair and whip me with a belt. Gary received treatment far less than a child of God deserved. And he was owed, 
owed a debt from his mom's boyfriend, but it's a debt he was, that boyfriend was not going to pay. But his girlfriend might. Or at the very least, he was going to make sure she wouldn't take more from him than he would from her. That's the kingdom we're stuck in, enslaved to, and delivered out from. We were brought into a new kingdom with a new economy, one in which our value is no longer determined by how you treat me or how I treat you or how our mom's boyfriend treats us. Our value is determined by the king, by the one who invites us to call the source of all goodness and life at the center of the universe, Father, our Father. Again, there are lots of things that living into that glory entails. Living out our allegiance to that kingdom. Lots of things. Lots of ways to celebrate that jubilee. But forgiving. Learning to receive forgiveness. Learning to extend it is the basic step. It's the dance move from which we learn all our other dance moves. I mean, if you're going to raise a family, if you're going to care for the sick, if you're going to teach, be neighborly, build a responsible business, create art, if you're going to do that, committed to seeing those things express the glory of the kingdom, you need to prepare to confront a whole lot of mess. Some of that mess is in you. And that can be terribly discouraging. Especially if your dance moves are all up here especially if receiving forgiveness isn't always a part of the dance. The same is true when it comes to the mess we encounter in others, from others. When others belittle your efforts or take advantage of them. And and that's not just a possibility, that's that's inevitable, that's going to happen. And so it's going to require extending forgiveness. In recent years, I find myself recoiling at the notion of blame, at least when it has to do with people I care about. When I'm dealing with some conflict with my kids, I get so discouraged when they say, you're just trying to blame it all on me. I don't give up. I don't have a church-friendly way of expressing how little I care whether someone takes blame. If this conflict is just about who gets saddled with blame, then all this conflict does is produce a wound. Nothing good comes of it. But if we're going to have to endure this conflict, well, at the the very least, let's try to make something of it. I want to learn something so we can do better next time. And if we're going to have the guts to learn something about ourselves, we've got to know there's forgiveness. I'm going to need you to know that you're forgiven. I'm going to need to know that I'm forgiven. If we can go into it with that squared away, who knows what possibilities might open up. Maybe we'll learn to radiate a little more glory because we worked through this mess. Blame? Let's put blame aside and learn some new dance moves. Metaphorical ones. My kids are not interested in learning actual dance moves with me. I understand. I've seen the video. Forgive us 
our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's the basic move. Ultimately, learning to forgive, learning to receive forgiveness is this profound expression of hope. It's not a denial of the mess in ourselves. It's not a denial of the mess in the world. It's a commitment to saying beyond this mess, there is glory. Now I've described it as a dance move, but I don't want to give the wrong impression. It is hard work. It's not something you master and move on from. No, it's, it's, it's like the prayer for bread. It's a daily practice. It's not for a jubilee year. It's for a jubilee lifetime. Forgiving and being forgiven is hard. But so is not forgiving. So is refusing to see our need for forgiveness. That, that will not only keep us from dancing, that it'll, it'll pull the plug on the music. When we feel that, how difficult it is, we need to remember where these moves come from. The one who even as he's being mocked and tortured said, Father, forgive them. The one who was killed but defeated death, remember, Remember why he did all that, so that he could invite you to the dance. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen.